Okay, great, thanks. Uh, Jesus was challenged there by the Pharisees. Remember, if you remember last week and from previous, they were asking me, oh, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these sort of people? Like, don't you realize how sinful they are, like how everybody hates them? Uh, then Jesus explained to them it's not the, the, the um, healthy who need a doctor but the sick. That he didn't come to call the self-righteous and those who thought they had it all figured out. He actually came to uh, call those who were humble and who realized they needed God's help and his forgiveness. Um, so then they kept going at Jesus. They said, well, not only are you hanging out with the wrong people, but your disciples don't even do the right thing. They don't even, like, look at your disciples are, you know, John's disciples fast and, and Pharisees, even their, even their students fast, but your disciples eat and drink all the time. What's wrong with you, Jesus? What's wrong with your followers? And they explained to them that they shouldn't be fasting while they're with the bridegroom. And he started talking about new wine into new wineskins. This morning, Jesus is still continuing, or is continuing to be uh, harassed and to be challenged by the Pharisees. But the situation is a little bit different as Jesus is uh, on a Sabbath day um, teaching and some of the things that are happening around that. As I've been reading this passage, it's getting me thinking about um, what sort of worship does Jesus want? What sort of devotion does Jesus want? What kind of faith does he want from us? And what kind of faith does he want for us? Ultimately, it gets me thinking about what kind of Savior Jesus is. When is the last time you thought about that? Because this is an important question. What kind of faith does Jesus want for us? Does Jesus just want us to follow a bunch of rules, or does he want something more? Is he looking for religious compliance, where conformity is imposed from the outside, where you feel pressure from everybody else to follow all the little rules, or does he want a changed heart, a genuine devotion to him? Where we live a holy life, not because we're afraid of whatever they else will think of us, but rather because we want to. When we follow God, when we follow God and His laws, because we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for what He's done. These are good questions. So let's see how Jesus responds or will be teaching us this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 1. I'm also going to be working through it on the screen here. It says, uh, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, without any understanding, if you hadn't read Scripture before, if you didn't know Jewish customs, you might think, well, what's unlawful about that? I mean, is it unlawful because they're walking maybe through somebody else's field and taking somebody else's handful of grain? Is that what is unlawful? But it's actually it's not, because in the Torah, the, the Old Testament law, it said to leave the edges of your field un, um, unharvested so that people who, who were starving or people who were barely making it by, uh, they could come, they could get some of the wheat there for their families, something to eat. So even in the Torah, it said to leave some of your field for people who were struggling. Actually, the Pharisees are saying it's unlawful because, not because of the fact that they're eating the grain, but on the day that they're doing it the Sabbath. So they're, and that's interesting because they're not actually even breaking a specific Sabbath law, but actually a human tradition. First of all, I mean, many of you, I mean, most of you know what the Sabbath is, but let me just explain just a little bit for maybe some of you who, are, um, who don't know exactly what it is. It's a, it's a huge conversation. I mean, there's tons of theology and thought that goes into the Sabbath, but essentially it's a weekly day of rest 
instituted by God in the Ten Commandments. You'll rest, which in Jewish world or in Jewish history was Saturday. And so he said, you'll take a day of rest. It was a day about rest, about ceasing from your work for you to recoup. Um, so it was great for that. It was a day of reliance. So realizing that it's not up to us to earn every day. That actually we can rely on God so we don't have to work all the time because God will provide for us. So it's about reliance. It was also about justice because actually in the Ten Commandments it says, you will rest and so will your servants. Even your animals will rest. And so it was a way, so, you know, because in our society, or in many societies, people who are really wealthy, they can take a day off because they've got money to, to gap them for the next day. Uh, in some cultures where people are earning food on one day to buy food the next day so they can eat, it's very different. But even there, God is saying, everybody rest. So whether you're wealthy or poor, you still get that day of rest. You don't work until you die. So... Part of it is about justice. It was also partly about worship. As a day to cease from all your work, from all your striving, from all your ambitions, to set a day aside to rest. And what better to do on a day of resting than to praise God, to spend some time with Him, reflecting on who He is and worshiping Him. So you have to ask, you know, what's the purpose of the Sabbath? Why did God institute us, institute the Sabbath? Was it to have more rules to weigh people down? Was it the God just like, you know, hey, this will be a fun one. Make them do nothing on one day. And let's add a bunch of rules to that. No, rather it was a day of rest for you and in our current language, for you and your staff, for you and your crew. That you guys would all take a day of rest. A day to rely on the Lord and to realize that He provides for us even when we aren't working all the time. It works rest into the weekly rhythm of our society. Because we live in a society right now that people love to play and they love to have fun, but also, man, people are really driven to work. We live in a society right now that is seriously overcommitted in just about every sphere of our lives. Overcommitted. And this is, a, this, this is working against us to say, take a day of rest. Not just a day of to sit around and stare at the ceiling, but make something of it, too, in terms of worshiping God. To so just rest, to be here, to be present, praising God together. So, the Pharisees had taken this idea of Sabbath, this good gift of God, and turned it into a huge list of rules and obligations. There were hundreds of little traditional, they called them laws, but things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Part of it because there's very little in the Old Testament about what you can't do on the Sabbath. So said, take the Sabbath as a day of rest. And so, when it's that open-ended... In a legal mind, you start thinking like, well, what can we do? What can we can't? What can we do? And so there was tons of rules made up. For example, how many steps you could take on a Sabbath? They actually, uh, some Jewish tradition or some Pharisaical groups had a number. You could only take a certain amount of steps. Anything more than that was considered work. So you couldn't travel very far, even if you wanted to go visit a relative, or even if you wanted to go to a synagogue. You had to go somewhere where it was close, within that certain set of walking distance. You couldn't heal people on the Sabbath. You couldn't uh, work. And actually here, you think about it, like you can't even rub your hands together to make a snack out of some grain out of a field. They had all these rules about what you can't, or what you can't do. So, Jesus answered them. He says, have you never read, he's talking to the Pharisees here, guys who read all the time, who are supposed to be like the smartest in all of Israel, the most well-raised. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? 
He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, Jesus is referring to 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is the greatest king of Israel, and he's in this story, in 1 Samuel, he's still a young man. Uh, he's actually running from King Saul, his father-in-law. Uh, at first, uh, King Saul loved David because he was great, uh, but then he started to become jealous of David, and then he became very paranoid of David. Uh, so David is running. He's come to a town called Nov. In your Bible, it's spelled N-O-B. It looks like Nob, but in, in Hebrew, you would say Nov. Uh, and asked the priest Ahimelech for food. So David asks, and first Samuel says, Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except for the bread of the presence, and that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day that it was taken away. So the bread of the presence was a bread that was put into the temple. It was to remind people of God's presence in their lives. So it's like a physical presence of God. But also, too, it reminded them of God's provision. Harking back to maybe like the Exodus when the people of God left slavery out of Egypt, were walking across the desert for 40 years, and God would provide manna or food from heaven. And so this is a, kind of a, a, um, a symbol of God's provision. So um, the thing is, only the priests were allowed to eat it. That's actually a command in Scripture. That only, only the priests were allowed to eat it. So when the priest gave it to David, we're in a very gray area here. You know, probably David should have said, you know what, I'm not supposed to eat this bread. But it's tricky to understand, like, what's happening here? Why did they eat it? Was this to say that, you know, feeding his, him and, his, and his, his companions was so important that the priest made a judgment call here? It's tricky to understand. But Jesus is quoting this, and it says here, uh, then Jesus uh, said here, then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Because the last thing, well, let me just say that the last thing that the Pharisees wanted to do was to question David. All right? They only want to bring him up on question. So Jesus' re- response to them is, then the Son of Man said to them, as the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus' point here, if you're not paying attention you might say, oh, what's happening? Or, or you might miss the fact that Jesus just referred to himself as the Son of Man, which throughout the Old Testament, there's a way of referring to the Messiah as well. But Jesus is saying here that he has the authority even over Sabbath, especially over absurd uh, traditions, like kind of human man-made laws that the, the Pharisees had, had built around the Sabbath. Something as innocuous, something as small as taking a handful of wheat, rubbing it together to get, separate the wheat, the kernel from the chaff, and eating it as a snack. Okay? That's what the Pharisees got upset about. So, Jesus answered them. And, okay, so, I want you to think about just the story of what's happened. This is the first story. There's two of them this morning. They're both about the Sabbath. They're both talking about the same issue. But this is the first story, okay? Jesus is saying he is Lord over the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, we see how their legalism... And how their emphasis on the human laws has completely blinded them to the good that's supposed to happen on the Sabbath. And to what God really desires for his people. Okay, so hold this first story in your mind. Then Luke tells us, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. 
And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. The situation is pretty bad at this point. The Pharisees, kind of like the legalists of his day, the, the religious cops, were following Jesus around, following him through grain fields, following him on Sabbath days, just waiting, looking for something to accuse him of, looking for reasons to cause trouble with Jesus. But Jesus knew that they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. So think about this for a second. While Jesus did heal the man's hand, it's true, he healed on the Sabbath, which was one of the traditions that the Pharisees had kind of made up, was that you couldn't heal people. And what they were mainly talking about were doctors or people like who would help to heal people of wounds so that you, they didn't want you to work on the Sabbath. Spending hours maybe like working in a, like a clinic of their day, maybe setting a bone or something. If it was, if it was life-threatening, sure, you could, you could help a person. But if it wasn't, if it was just merely like a broken femur or something that <laughs> wasn't life-threatening, you could wait till the next day. All right? So, um, the thing is, think about it for a second. While Jesus healed his hand, what was the work that he did? All he said was four words. Stretch out your head. That's it. I mean, it shows you one, first of all, if you're not paying attention, the, the power of Jesus. That he merely says, stretch out your hand and the man is healed. But the thing is, at least in my mind, where is the work? You know, how is this laborious for Jesus? It didn't take him hours of work and preparation. It wasn't like he had to take the man back to his clinic and take hours to set it all up. Essentially, the Pharisees in their legalism had completely lost the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was to restore. He had, they had twisted it from helping people honor God, set aside a day to rest and honor God, and they had twisted it into something to prohibiting people from healing others. Nowhere is Jesus saying, if, if, he's, you know, if it seems right, go ahead and break God's laws. That's not what he's saying here. We can't just override God's laws. No, the issue here is straight-up, old-fashioned legalism. Because Jesus, there, was no, there was no specific law about the, on the Sabbath that you couldn't heal people. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It was only their traditions, only their ideas about what you couldn't do. Because in Hebrew thought, it was thought, if, if this is the law and we don't want you to break it, the best way to keep people from breaking that law is to make a bunch of laws that keep you clear over here so you have no way of breaking. So limit the number of steps people have. That way, if they walk under 50 paces, then they'll never actually break the Sabbath. Do you see the thinking there? How difficult it makes life? How far from the purpose of Sabbath it is? But... They were furious and began to discuss with one another what they would do to Jesus. Ultimately, this is the end result of legalism. 
The Pharisees were so angry that Jesus defied their rules that they failed to see that Jesus had just healed a man's hand. That this man who had had his hand shriveled up, it said withered, some sort of deformity, had just been healed right in front of them. They failed to see that, one, Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of Man, that he has authority over the Sabbath. They failed to see that he can heal with his words. They failed to see that Jesus is bringing people into the kingdom of God, bringing people closer to God. This man with his hand assumed, because of his hand, maybe he assumed that, well, I deserve this for something. Or maybe he thinks that um, because his hand was shriveled, he actually couldn't go into the temple. So he's thinking all these things like he has been distanced from God and Jesus is restoring him, not only with a new hand back to society and life, but also back to God. The Pharisees failed to see this. They failed to even repent of their own pride and their own arrogance. Think about everything that they're missing out here. Their only thought is, how can we kill Jesus? Because he's breaking our rules. They're trying to figure out how to kill the Messiah that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. One of the reasons why Pharisees were so specific about the Sabbath was they, because they had a tradition, they had a belief that if we could just get the whole nation of Israel to faithfully observe one Sabbath, the Messiah would come. Do you see the problem with that? The idea is thinking like if we can just do it right finally, then we can control God. We'll bring God. We'll do it if we can just be perfect enough. And so that's why they're so focused on keeping the Sabbath. So, here's another thing. Jesus meant to challenge these Pharisees. It says in this passage, it says, He knew what they were thinking, so He asked the man to come, the man with the shriveled hand, He asked him to come stand in the front. He knows what they're thinking. Now, He could have told the man, you know what? Your hand is shriveled. I can heal you. Come back in a few hours when the Sabbath is over. Come back tomorrow. First thing, come back and I'll fix your hand. Um, I know you've been waiting a long time and you've probably lived with this for a while, but a few more hours you'll be okay. That way we won't upset the apple cart. The Pharisees will be happy and I'll be obeying all their little rules. But he doesn't do any of that. Jesus calls the man on purpose to stand right in the middle. He doesn't call him off to the side to do it secretly. He says, stand right in the middle and let me heal you. Stretch out your hand. And this is what sends the Pharisees over the top. The key point of this whole story is the part where Jesus says, says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it? That's the point of the Sabbath, was to restore people. A day for doing good. Not a day for working, not a day for striving, but a day of resting, doing good things. This is the point of the Sabbath. What does Jesus want us to do? Does He want us to crush people, or to crush one another under a bunch of religious traditions that aren't actually biblical? Or to help them find a new life in Jesus? Does he want us to help new disciples find a new wineskin? To help them fit, to figure out how they worship Jesus, so they can grow into mature followers of Jesus? As I was thinking about these two stories this week, a couple of realizations came to me. <clears throat> First of all, we, all of us, 
are set free from legalism. So, on the one hand, for those of you who maybe feel like you don't quite fit, like I don't do all the stuff right, I don't say the right things, I don't wear the right clothes, I don't do the right things, I just, I love Jesus, but I don't ever seem to get it quite right, you've been set free from legalism. Now, the opposite, or the other side of that coin is true also. If you feel like you have to go around making sure everybody does their things right, or for some reason you feel like, you know, I just feel like I'm supposed to go around and make sure everybody, nobody breaks the rules. You've been set free too. Jesus is not calling us to police each other. Absolutely, Scripture says encourage one another, speak the truth in love, help each other grow as disciples, but we don't have to police each other. We don't have to be religious cops for each other. We've been set free. Set free from legalism, both sides. Not only that, we've been set free from a legalistic religion. As Christians, we are called to follow the laws of God. Absolutely. As Scripture says, we are to follow the Word. We're supposed to do what Jesus teaches us to do and what God has called us to. But we don't need to follow a bunch of man-made traditions. God's law is meant to keep us holy so that we can remain close to Him and to make our lives better. I was thinking about this. For example, this is one that I think gets um, a lot of people who aren't Christian have trouble with Christianity. One is about sexual morality, for example. The Christian ethic, the Christian way, as I read Scripture, is, for example, sex is good in one place, in heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. And our society gets angry with us because they say, no, 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 we want to have sex whenever we want. We want to have sex outside of marriage. We want to have sex before we're married. We want to do all these things. And then I see you know, people say, oh, Christianity is such, so backward and so old-fashioned. And then I see people who live having sex wherever they want outside of marriage, and I see all sorts of brokenness. I see single parents trying to raise kids. I see parents who are, are kids who have families that are split up, who have multiple parents, who have half-brothers from one uh, parent above them and half-brothers from a different parent below them. And it's, it's really complicated. Jesus gave us this idea of waiting until we are married to have sex because he loves us and because he wants good things for us. Now, I understand that some people, like there's been things that have happened in lives and, and God can redeem us from those. Like that doesn't, that doesn't somehow keep you from God forever. Repenting, coming to Him, asking for His forgiveness, God welcomes us back in. But that's just one example of how God has given us a way to live that some people have turned into like, oh, it's a horrible rule. And others, when you begin to live it, you realize, oh, this has helped me get out of or, helped me, or has kept me from so many hard and difficult things. So, we come from a, we belong to a religion it is about uh, following God. It's about being close to Him. All right, so Jesus has freed us from legalism personally, but He's also freed us from a religion of um, legalism. Not only has Jesus freed us from legalism, He's freed us to personal devotion. So not only has He freed us from legalism and all the problems that come with that, He's freed us to personal devotion. And what I mean by that is a heartfelt connection to Jesus, a relationship with Him. Jesus wants devotion, not conformity. Externally, 
We can impose conformity on people. We can pressure people to behave. That's not what really Jesus is after. He doesn't want us to begrudgingly behave. He wants a new creation, a new heart, a life devoted to Him. A life where we follow God's laws, not because we feel like we have to, but rather because we want to. Because we want to be closer to God and we realize we trust Him. Even though we might think, you know, this would be way more fun if I did this right now, we realize that it's going to come with consequences on the other end. And ultimately, those consequences aren't fun at all. So Jesus has freed us from legalism. He's also freed us to devotion. And here's the, the, the last thing that I realized as I was thinking about this this week. Not only has Jesus done all this, but it also begins to show us the sort of God Jesus is. The sort of Savior He is. He's not a tyrant who wants domination, who wants to give us a bunch of laws that we have to try and, like a minefield that we have to navigate every day. He wants devotion from us. He wants relationship with us. As we were just singing in moments like these, I love you, Lord. Just a few moments we were singing that. And I'm thinking how Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, Lord, I love you. This sort of love that has devotion behind it. This is the good news this morning. God is not calling us to legalism, to a bunch of rules on top of rules on top of rules, a bunch of human traditions that make it almost impossible to be, to be perfect. He's not calling us to that. Jesus has set us free from legalism. Not only that, He set us free from legalism, He set us, set us free to personal devotion, like a real relationship with Him. And all of this shows us how good, how loving, how great Jesus is. This is the good news this morning. Amen.